uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, we're, we're in a sermon series for the next 12 weeks, and uh, we're calling this The Search for Meaning. And the overall theme of this book is everything is meaningless. Welcome to church today, everybody. Everything is meaningless. If there, if there is a, a book in the Bible that's written from a more secular perspective, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes would be that book. Because Solomon is talking about the meaninglessness that's found in life under the sun, he says, or life in a fallen world, or, or li- life minus the perspective of God. And he said it is meaningless or uh, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Now this morning, uh, we're going to look at the idea that, that not only is uh, everything vanity, but in particular, Solomon is going to say that wisdom is vanity. Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom is vanity. What does Solomon mean by that? Well, let me begin with a graph. It's always good to begin a sermon with, a, with an exciting graph. It's going to come up on the screen. And uh, this is, uh, it was created by a guy named Buckminster Fuller. And uh, Buckminster Fuller was, a, was an architect who designed something called the uh, geodescent dome. And uh, there's, the, there's the graph up there. And the geodescent dome, if you've been to Disney World and seen the Epcot Center, this is an example of one of those domes. Uh, Later in life, he became a futurist and a systems theorist, and he wrote a very famous book called The Critical Path. And uh, in this book, he he talks about something called the knowledge doubling curve, which is uh, this this, uh, graph up on the screen behind me. And the idea of the graph is that he says that from the year of Jesus' birth, it took 1,500 years for the cumulative knowledge in all of human civilization to double. But from there, it took 250 years to double again. From there, it doubled every 100 years up to World War II. After that, it doubled every 25 years until the 90s, where it doubled every 12 to 13 months. This is the cumulative knowledge uh, in human civilization doubling. And by most estimates, um, uh, 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 scholars put the number at every 12 hours today. So every 12 hours, scholars guess, that the cumulative knowledge in all of human civilization doubles. That means that by the time you go to bed tonight, the knowledge of the world will have doubled. Do you feel a little overwhelmed by this? Are you, are you keeping up? Uh, and, and this is why we're called the information age. And there's a lot of good things about knowledge doubling. I would never want to go back. I am so thankful for modern medicine and modern science and scholarship and history. I am so thankful for the fact that, that knowledge is increasing. But the question I want to ask today is, and, and the question that Solomon asks in our, in our passage, is, is there a downside to this increase in knowledge? Is there a dark side even to the human quest to understand? Now Solomon, uh, early in, in the tenure of, of, this, of this young uh, king of Israel, God, God came to him in a, in a dream and invited him to ask for anything. And Solomon could have, asked, he could have asked for anything. He could have asked for money, fame, or pleasure. But the young king Solomon asked for wisdom. And God was extremely pleased with Solomon's request. God was so excited about this. And here's God's response to Solomon's um, uh, request for knowledge and wisdom. He says, Behold, I now do according to your word. 
Uh, this is from 1 Kings 3, uh, chapter uh, 3.12. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has ever been before you, and none like you shall ever rise after you. In other words, he says, you shall be the wisest person who ever lived. So here's Solomon. Solomon is overwhelmed at the task of, of being the king of Israel. And God says, you can ask for whatever you want. And the thing that Solomon asked for is understanding, is knowledge, is wisdom to govern God's people well. And God is, is pleased with this request. And yet, fast forward to the book of Ecclesiastes. This is Solomon at the end of his life. Right? This is King Solomon, an older King Solomon, years later, reflecting back on his time as king. And you wonder if he's regretting the request he made there at the beginning of his career. Uh, you're wondering if, uh, you know, here's a more seasoned King Solomon, and, he's, and, and the more he, is, he, uh, he grows and uh, develops in knowledge, the more he associates knowledge with sorrow, vexation, and misery. In fact, this is uh, chapter 1, verse 18. He says, uh, in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases wisdom increases sorrow. So vexation is a word that means being annoyed or frustrated or tormented internally. And so Solomon says, here's my, here's my conclusion. He said, with more wisdom, with more knowledge, with more understanding comes misery and vexation. Uh, Eugene Peterson, in his, um, his uh, uh, translation of the Bible called The Message, he translates the verse like this, much learning earns you much trouble. The more you know, the more you hurt, or the more you suffer. That little baby is hurting and suffering right now. <laughs> the more you know, the more miserable you are. Now, what does Solomon mean by this? What does he mean by this? The, what, the more you know, the, the increase in learning, the more it makes you miserable. What exactly is Solomon saying? And that's what we're going to look at today. And I want to do it by uh, looking at three points. Number one, we're going to see uh, the nobility of Solomon's quest for knowledge. And then second of all, we're going to see the futility of Solomon's quest. And then finally, the redemption of Solomon's quest for wisdom and knowledge. So first, uh, we're going to see the, the nobility of Solomon's quest. So this uh, is in verse 12. Solomon says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is under the sun. So here Solomon makes the pronouncement. He says, everything under the sun, science, technology, history, everything out there, I sought to understand it. I went on a pursuit of knowledge. And what I want you to see here is that this is a noble pursuit. Don't interpret it Solomon's, uh, you know, Ecclesiastes here is saying that any search for knowledge, any science, any uh, human learning is absolutely futile. There is a nobility to the search for knowledge, for wisdom. Um, Solomon also wrote the book of, of Proverbs, which is a celebration of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, later on, even in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, Solomon will extol the virtues of science and learnings, learning and ethics and knowledge. Uh, the Bible, Solomon himself and the Bible, is pro-human learning. It's pro-science. It is pro-human quest for knowledge. And let's just think about this. God gave you a brain. God gave you a brain so that you would what? So that you would think, that you could be able to uh, search things out and, under, and solve mysteries and understand enigmas. 
God created the world orderly, right? So that there's a rhyme and a reason to this creation so that we can study it and understand, uh, you know, patterns and, uh, you know, systems in, in creation. God made the creation such that we can study it. And in the book of Genesis, God, uh, speaking to Adam and Eve, he says, I want you to cultivate the earth and subdue it. And part of what he means by that is I want you to explore my creation. I want you to go out there and solve humanity's mysteries. Science and medicine and art and literature. He says, I want you to develop my creation. And it takes brain power to do that. And so this is a mandate from God at the very beginning. One of the most famous uh, uh, commands in all of the Bible, it's called the Shema. And it's, it's where God says what he wants his people, what he expects from his people. And he says, I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God says, I want you to love me with all of your mind. And so it glorifies God when we use our brains. And it also helps to make the world a better place. With our minds, we build airplanes, skyscrapers, spaceships, cathedrals. We climb, Mount we climb Mount Everest. We go to the bottom of the sea in submarines. We can put a remote control car on Mars. We can find cures for terrible diseases. We can make breathtaking works of music, art, and literature. The human brain is an incredible gift of God, and he wants us to use it. And when we do so, it makes the world a better place. Uh, Steven Pinker, who's a very famous uh, atheist, uh, he gave a TED Talk that I listened to last week. And uh, it's based on his book, Enlightenment Now. And what he does is he shows how the world is getting better in almost every way. Uh, he says there are less diseases. There are, uh, uh, there's less poverty in the world. Uh, he says there are, there's scientific advancements that, that make the world a safer and better place. And he says this is all due to the fact that human beings are making progress because they're using their brain to solve the mysteries of the world. Using your mind and, and going on a quest to discover and, and, and learn and develop wisdom is a noble quest. My, qui my kids are my quids, my squids. My, my kids uh, are homeschooling my squids. And, uh, you know, what, what I love about watching Anita homeschool the boys is the wonder and, the, and, and the, the look in their eyes when they experience something that they've never learned before and the discovery of God's beautiful green earth. I mean, it's incredible and it's beautiful. And, and Christianity is not, never pit Christian faith against science or, or thinking or rationality. Uh, think about it, some of the greatest uh, universities in our country, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, were all founded by Christians because they valued the, the quest for knowledge. Some of the greatest minds in Western civilization are Christians. St. Augustine, Michelangelo, Sir Isaac Newton, Johannes uh, Kepler, Rene Descartes, Blaise Pascal, Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, were all believers using their mind to, to, to make the world a better place and a more beautiful place. Uh, I am, I, I'm kind of ashamed to say that when I was an early Christian, um, I did not v value learning at all. And I was a really bad student in high school, and, I, and, and then I became a Christian, and I was an even worse student. And uh, I just didn't, I, I never made the connection between my Christian faith and actually uh, applying my, myself at school and education. 
And I remember I, I went on like this until Bible college. And there were, I, I, one of my really good friends was brilliant. I mean, he loved to read, he loved to study. And at one point I looked at him and I said, God's not impressed with your intelligence. And he looked back at me and he says, God is not impressed with your ignorance. <laughs> and something clicked that day. And I, I began to realize the value of human learning. And I began to study, and I began to grow, and I went to college, and, and I realized that God is glorified when we use our minds, when we apply our hearts to wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. This is a noble quest that Solomon is on. And it began with, with, with God saying, look, you can have anything you want. And Solomon says, I want wisdom, I want knowledge, I want understanding, because I know I need this in order to govern well and make this world a better place. So what's the problem then? Solomon ultimately will say that all, with all of his learning, with all of his knowledge, it led him to a place of vexation and sorrow. So what was the problem then? What, where did this noble quest turn toxic? Why did Solomon's search go, go bad? Why did it make him sorrowful? What, what, what is the problem? What is the dark side to, to the human quest for knowledge and learning? Well, notice here, as you look at the passage, I think you see a, a little clue. Uh, Solomon says, I, the preacher, have been a king over Israel and Jerusalem, verse 12, and he says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is under the sun. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, it is all vanity and a striving after the wind. Now, when you look at this, uh, you see that Solomon's quest for knowledge, it, 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 beca it became something bigger than just a noble quest. This noble, uh, uh, worthy quest to, to uh, solve the world's uh, enigmas went from a good quest to an ultimate quest. Uh, instead of being a noble quest that was, was there to make the world a better place, Solomon's quest for knowledge and wisdom became an ultimate quest that defined his world. Uh, the word that Solomon uses to, to say that he, he applied his heart to seek uh, out wisdom and knowledge is, is a word that is often used in the Bible for seeking God. So Solomon is saying here, I began to search for wisdom and knowledge the, the way people search for God. I set my heart on wisdom and knowledge. I set my life, I set my trust, I set my everything on this quest. You see, Solomon's quest for knowledge began to re replace his searching for God. I've got this, God. I don't need you anymore. I've got my brain. And I can figure this world out by myself. And Solomon says that when I did this, my quest, this noble quest, started to look like a striving after the wind. It left me empty. Because here's the reality. We are not brains on a stick. We need more than knowledge and wisdom and understanding to fill us as human beings. You are body, soul, and spirit. You are created in the image of God. 
and, fill, and, and filling your brain with knowledge and information and wisdom even will never fill the empty void in your heart. St. Augustine, he said this. He said, we, God, you have made us for yourself. God, we are, we are created in your image. You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. In other words, there's, there's an empty hole in your, in your life. There's an empty void in your heart that can only be filled with God. And because human beings, are, are, our hearts are like little idol factories. We're always creating God's substitutes. We're trying to put something else in that void. And nothing else is big enough, even wisdom and knowledge. And when Solomon put wisdom and knowledge in that void, it rattled around in there. The only one big enough to fill your, your, your need for meaning is God. And Solomon says, although I, I grew in my knowledge and I grew in my wisdom more than any other person on the face of this planet, I found that with all of my brain power, I was empty. Um, as a, you know, I'm, I think I might be an Enneagram 5, and, and one of the things I do is I, I, love, I love knowledge and I love learning. And sometimes my, my quest for knowledge and learning, even about the Bible, even about God, becomes a God substitute. And there's this feeling that I get when I buy a book on Amazon. And it comes in the mail, you know, and I, I'm waiting at the window like a little dog, you know, waiting for his master to get home. And there I, I see the mailman drop my Amazon uh, box in the mailbox. I run out there, I grab it, and I get this tingly feeling inside. As I rip open the box, and I begin to leaf, th you know, leaf through the, the brand new crispy pages of the theology book. It feels so good that my office is filled with books. But I've found that if I ignore my relationship with God in exchange for my study, I begin to feel empty. Because knowledge, even knowledge about God, is not big enough to fill the void in your life. Anything else you put in there is going to rattle around. Solomon says, all of my knowledge, all of my learning, it left me empty. But there's another problem. He says, all of my knowledge and all of my, all of my wisdom, he says, it wasn't enough to solve my deepest problem. problems. He says in verse 15, he says, uh, he says, not only did the knowledge leave me empty, striving after the wind, but verse 15, he says, that which was crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. See, here's another problem with, with the, the quest for knowledge and putting that in the place of God. Is, is all the knowledge in the world and all the learning in the world and all the information in the world is not, is not good enough to fix what's really wrong with you. You see, what's really wrong with you is more than just an education problem or an information problem. What's really wrong with you is a spiritual and moral problem. And all the learning in the world and all the education in the world is not strong enough to change the selfishness in your heart. And so uh, this, is, uh, here's a, this is from uh, Beatrice Webb, and she was, this is way back at the turn of the 20th century, and she was a socialist, she was an activist, she was the architect of the modern British uh, welfare system, and she, she had an incredible confidence in, in human beings and our quest for knowledge to make progress in the world. And she said, somewhere in my diary in, in 1890, I wrote, I have staked all in the essential goodness of human nature. 
She said, we, we can fix human beings. We just have to educate them. We just have to create the right structures in society. And then she says later on, now 35 years later, I realize how permanent are the evil impulse, impulses and instincts in man. How little you, you can count on changing some of these. For instance, the appeal of wealth and power. By any change in the social machinery, no amount of knowledge or science will be of any avail unless we can curb the bad impulse. Solomon says, I set out to solve the world's problem. But he says, that which is inside of me, my heart, my selfishness, my malevolence, was so crooked. And all the knowledge of the world was not able to make that which is crooked straight. With all of my learning, I wasn't able to to fix what's most basically wrong with me. Science can heal diseases, right? And all sorts of, you know, you know, horrible things that attack our body. But what about the disease of the human heart? Sol- Solomon says, knowledge is not able to heal that. Homeschool with uh, the kids, going back to that, my, uh, th- my wife is, has this curriculum that she reads, and, and at one point, the, the author of this curriculum said, okay, now your kids. She said, if your kids are, you know, th- it's one thing if your son is struggling with math. If your son is struggling with math, you've got to slow down and you've got to help him work through the problem. You have to explain it very uh, slowly in a very detailed way. She said, but if your son has a problem with selfishness, if your son has a problem with resisting parental authority, if your son has a problem with arrogance and violence, she says, you need to stop everything because that's an altogether different problem than struggling with math. You can educate your child so that they could learn math, but what do you do with a child who's selfish? She said, that's a deeper, deeper problem. And I know it's a deeper problem because it's, it's a problem in, in my own life. I'm the parent, and I, I've read all sorts of parenting books. I've, I, I know uh, that I'm not supposed to yell at the kids. I know to breathe, you know. I know all of that stuff, and yet there's, I still yell at the kids. It, we, our problem is not an education problem. It's not a knowledge problem. It's a heart problem. And Solomon says that when all of my learning and all of my quests and in all of my wisdom, I haven't been able to fix that which is crooked. He says in verse 16, I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Solomon says, in all of my learning, I still was vexed because I think there's also another piece of this, which is the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, those of you who are studying and teachers and scholars. The more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. I used to have a math teacher. He was the best, best math teacher I ever had. And he used to stand in front of us and he said, you are all my children in math. And he says, you've got a, tr- a problem with math, I've got a problem with math, but mine is much bigger You see, the more you know, the bigger the problem becomes. 
the, more, the smaller you feel or the more insignificant and unable you feel to actually find meaning and purpose in life. Uh, Carl Sagan, who's a famous uh, scientist, he uh, commissioned a, a picture to be taken of Earth from you know, a couple billion miles away back in the, I think it was 70s or 80s. And uh, he, this was in a magazine somewhere, and it's, it's a picture of Earth. I think it's going to come up here. It's a picture of Earth in, the, in, in sort of the, you know, the light of the sun, and it looks like a little tiny dot. See, there it is. That's us. He called the picture the pale blue dot. And this is what he writes on there. You can't see it, but this is what's written. He says, that, that, that's here. That's home, that little dot, the pale blue dot. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species live there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. He's saying you're insignificant. And the more you learn, the more you realize this fact. And humility is a good thing. It's a good thing to realize that you're small, but if there's no God in this world, if life under the sun is all you have, then this can be incapacitatingly depressing. <laughs> That's it. My entire life, my entire family, my entire body of learning is on that little dot in the universe. So Solomon says, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So, he says, uh, there's a nobility to the quest for wisdom and knowledge. It's a noble thing, it's a beautiful thing to learn, to make the world a better place. But there's a futility to this quest. If all you have is life under the sun, it cannot fix what is really wrong with you. It cannot fill the void that is in your heart. All the knowledge in the world somehow makes you feel small, insignificant, and empty. So let me get finally to the redemption of Solomon's search. So Solomon doesn't leave, leave us there. I think that ultimately what, what Solomon wants to do is he points us to the futility of learning and knowledge in order to help us look beyond life under the sun. There is a wisdom and there is a knowledge and there's an understanding and there's a quest beyond life under the sun. There is a wisdom out there and it's a wisdom that comes from God. And Solomon wants us to look there. He wants us to see this. Solomon's quest for wisdom points to one who is greater than Solomon. So Jesus, uh, in the book of John, he has two names. At the very beginning, uh, the book of John calls Jesus the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, was the Logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, for the Greeks, the word Logos, it, it just it meant wisdom. It meant, it meant reason. It meant logic. 
And the Greeks believed that there's a logic out there in the world that we could get in touch with. And yet for all of their searching, nobody ever agreed and the life, their life still seemed sort of empty. Where is it? Where is the logos? Where's the reason? Where's the wisdom that, that's going to fix our world? And John says, in the beginning was the logos, the word, the reason. And that reason is Jesus. Jesus is truth personified. Truth is a person. There's another name that we have for Jesus. Uh, John literally calls Jesus wisdom. Uh, at one point, Jesus says, there is, there is one greater than Solomon who's among you. He said, I am the wisdom. I am the wisdom. I am that, that missing piece of the puzzle. And so, except Jesus, when he was in the world, he said, it's not that I'm pointing you to some body of knowledge or some piece of information that's going to complete your search. He said, I am in personal form wisdom and knowledge. I am the, the, the spiritual wisdom that if you will get in touch with me, will fill your life with incredible meaning. Jesus Christ is the wisdom that breaks in under the sun. And so Solomon says, I want you to, I, I want you to think about this. Think about, let's go back to our, our information age. You know, knowledge is increasing. I know that every single one of you, you can go home today and get on Google and find almost any piece of information you could ever need or want. I know that many of you, you know, you're, when you think about life's problems, parenting, marriage, business, everything, your first go-to is a book. And there is, we are glutted with information. It is absolutely everywhere. But listen to the wisdom of Solomon. Information is great, and the, and the quest for wisdom is noble, but do not forsake Jesus Christ, wisdom personified in your search for knowledge. There's one place in the Old Testament where it says that uh, God has uh, two problems with his people. He says, number one, you've forsaken the well of living water, and you've sought out for yourself broken cisterns that can hold no water. And Solomon says the quest for knowledge, although it's a great thing, it's a broken cistern. Because the only truth and the only wisdom that will fill your ultimate longings and your needs is Jesus Christ, a person. Man, this week as I was thinking about this, you know, I was looking at all my books and, and all of my, my desire to, I'm an Enneagram 5, I think. I just want to figure it, everything out. You know, I want to, put all the pieces together. And Jesus Christ, I felt like he was looking at me saying, look, I am the fount of living water. Do not pass me by in your search. I am right in front of you. I will fill you. And once you are filled, go on your quest and make the world a better place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, that, that you are wisdom come from the outside, that Jesus Christ, the fountain of living water, uh, the only wisdom that fills us body, soul, and spirit is promised to us in the gospel. You died and you rose again from the dead to give us your life. And Father, I pray that in our world of uh, increased knowledge and the internet and Google, Facebook, and books, 
Lord, that you would help us not to forsake the only one that gives us meaning in life. Lord, I pray that you would fill us. I pray that we would have joy and not vexation. God, that we would be filled up and not sorrowful. Lord, that we would dive into our relationship with you. Not just knowledge about you or knowledge about this world, but, but connect with you and receive your life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.